Welcome to When There Are No Words, conversations between artists about grief and hope in their work. This series is sponsored by 10 of those, resources that point to Jesus change lives. To support the podcast, get ad-free listening, bonus episodes and other gifts, join us on Acast Plus for as little as £5 a month. Hello! This is the final episode in When There Are No Words, and I'm Rachel Redeemed, standing in for Michael J. Tinker, and in this episode we talk about where some of the ideas for the songs came from, and how they were birthed into being, some advice on grief, and how to deal with the pain of these things when that's going on in your life, or in someone in your church family's life. And we also get to hear a little bit of some of the inspirations for Michael's work. Hello, I am not Michael J. Tinker, but I'm going to be interviewing Michael J. Tinker on his podcast. My name is Rachel Redeemed. It is a joy to be here. Thank you so much for having me, Michael. That's all right. Thank you for having me. me. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me, we are thinking all about grief and hope. Where did this begin for you? Ah, well... um good question it started really well I was going to say it started with the particular grief of um, when my dad got uh, was diagnosed with cancer back in uh, October of 2021 Um, though it's actually something that I've always considered I don't know whether I was just a morose child but um, which I don't think I was but I always thought about death and uh, loss and uh, when you think about it as a child it's much more matter of fact and it's maybe a fascination and a you know what will happen next and all of that kind of thing but it means it's something that I've always thought about and then obviously being being a Christian as well it's central to what we believe Uh, death and resurrection are we're talking about it we're singing about it and so for me it was just something quite natural um, to 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 think and talk about, and then to sing about when I started writing songs and writing um, kids' music as well. There's a lot of um, happy, bouncy songs that I've written, um, but I've also also always wanted to address the difficult situations in life, the struggles, because kids face them as much as adults do, and so I've wanted to speak into that. But then. Um, I'd, I'd wanted to, for a long time, I've been wanting to write another grown-ups album, as I have to call them, because I do a lot of kids' music. Um, I hadn't written a grown-ups album since 2014. And I've been want- wanting to write something, but didn't really have anything to say particularly. I when I like to write an album, you know, a whole collection of songs and... If it's just going to be for the sake of it, I'm not bothered. I want to write things that are going to mean something and move people. Um, but yeah, I just didn't really have anything to say. And then and then, Dad was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And, uh, and suddenly I was going through something I knew was going to happen at some point, um, losing my dad. And so it was something I'd pondered. Um, but it was amazing how much grief I went through before he died. Um, and so 
I started reflecting on that, started writing down things that dad was saying um, as he was facing death, as he was pondering even more than he had done before uh, eternity and uh, what that was going to be like. So I was scribbling down little quotes and started writing songs about it. So, yeah, sorry, that's a very long winded answer. Um, but uh, that's the particular thing that, is, that really got me thinking about it recently. Your recent article with Christianity magazine, I think it was entitled Imagining Eternity. Is that what you knew you were doing when you began? When did that click? Again, it's I suppose it's something that I've done for a long time. Um, but in the last year or so, just been much more conscious that that's what I'm doing. Again, thinking about doing uh, music for children and acting and things. Imagination is just so much a part of that. And it was a part of my childhood, uh, the books, the films, the TV, the audio adventures I've listened to. Um, I have a very active imagination. And so it's just something I've always embraced. And and I've loved thinking about eternity. I've loved imagining what it's going to be like um, and reading other people's thoughts of what it's going to be like and having that world expand over time, just realising how physical it is and how much beyond clouds and harps and all of that nonsense that it's a, it's a world and a world to explore. So I've always I've loved exploring that in my mind. But then, then again, when Dad got the diagnosis and it was so much closer um suddenly eternity felt so much closer for both of us so much more obviously for dad um but but i think for the rest of us as a family as well and so me and dad were just talking about that and imagining what it was going to be like and then we started talking about the importance of imagination uh, we come from conservative evangelical uh constituency or whatever you want to call it and i think historically not so good at doing imagination a bit wary of arts and all of that kind of thing as being airy fairy making stuff up um and dad dad wasn't uh an artist in the classic sense um he was a preacher um so probably did actually use more art than he realized in the art of storytelling um and public speaking but he recognized the importance of using our imaginations to go from what we know and experience to something we haven't experienced yet um but also the just distinct lack of it in our churches and and i think we're we're poorer for it um again i, I mentioned that you know, death and resurrection is central to our, the gospel. And yet, how much do we actually talk about death and resurrection? Uh, our death and resurrection. Um, how much do we spend time pondering what it's going to be like? And yet again, the, the Bible seems to think that that's essential for how we live now. Have, being heavenly minded, focused on where we are spiritually and where we are going um, massively shapes how you live now and not just in terms of well we need to tell people the gospel so they can get there too which is true but it also shapes how we look after this world that if it's not if eternity isn't clouds but actually is a 
physical and a renewed creation, then that impacts how we steward things now, how we care for things. If it's going to be a place of beauty and art and exploration, then why not live that out now as a glimpse of what it's going to be like in the future? So the way you look at eternity and imagine eternity massively shapes how you, how you live as a Christian. Um, and that's why I say I think our churches are poorer when we don't do that. We become quite stunted and very... Uh, it, be, it becomes, I think there's been a move just to make it just about evangelism, um, which we do need to share the gospel with people. Um, of course, that is absolutely essential. But what it are becomes, they being saved into? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and, 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 and what a more glorious picture we have when we do use our imaginations and we do explore what God has in store for us, what an amazing message we have for people and especially for people who are clinging to idols of this world where the idols are promising all sorts and and um, evoking imagination in them. So th th that's what the idols do because they have to. They have to say... Um, you know, if you have this, you will be able to get this. If you just buy enough of this or live in this particular way or express yourself in this way, then this will mean. So they're using imagination all the time. They're going from do this, you will get this. So they're doing that whole kind of bridging the gap thing that imagination does. If we don't come in with actually, no, this is the reality and it will mean this then well the idols the idols gonna win because they're just doing it better um so i it's it's actually all part of how we proclaim the gospel as this whole rounded thing of a life changed now for a, an incredibly changed life um through eternity um i've totally forgotten what your initial question was um <laughs> oh about the article and imagining eternity something around that wasn't it i think what you say is helpful in that we will always have something in our mind's eye and is it just a helpful and good representation is it a, a 2d drawing from a children's book that i remember of you know jesus healing the paralytic and that's in my head what the building looks like or mm. is it what it's or is it what it looks like in the chosen or is it going to be something else and how can we help feed our imagination with mm. good things what for you did you find helpful or unhelpful in feeding your imagination in a season of grief? Mm. I talk about, um, so in that article, I talk about having a biblically informed imagination. Um, I'm sure there's more poetic ways of putting that. But the the thing, again, in our constituency, the, the one person who does imagination that's acceptable is C.S. Lewis. Um, it's absolutely fine for him to go wild with his imagination. Um, the rest of us. Mm. Um, but the thing, the thing about Lewis is that he was just steeped in the Bible. It's just saturated. And, and that was a beautiful thing to see in my dad as well. Um, that he had spent so long in God's word daily that when it came to facing eternity, he wasn't unsure, not because he knew exactly what it was going to be like, but because he was so 
so full of of God's word and what God has said and promised and pictured that he could just be making those uh, he could be bridging that gap he could be letting his imagination loose because it was based on something so solid so absolutely what was essential during that time was the bible um knowing it knowing what god had promised knowing the pictures that he has already given us um but then you know things like lewis yeah absolutely um just him paving the way of going you know you can you can let it loose um with with trepidation you know we're not saying as we let our imaginations go with with what the bible has said and what it could be um we're not saying this is exactly what it is going to be like um so there's always a you know a light touch to that um and that's what he does with um uh, the great divorce you know at the start he's like this i'm not saying this is what heaven's going to be like (laughs) okay please don't quote me on this but I think there's a lot of things that we can explore and learn and truth here by this kind of poetic storytelling. Um, So it's lovely that he paved the way for that and that we could that we could do that. Um, So, yeah. So the Bible, absolutely. You need to know your Bible. And if you want to prepare for dying well, um, then get yourself saturated with the bible now so that it's just oozing out of you at that point and it was a privilege to see dad just get more and more excited and his vision just growing for um for the lord that he was going to see i've heard it said somewhere that when i get squeezed i want scripture to come out Mm. for whatever whatever's going on i'm sure someone can say it more poetically and indeed you have in um your songs but for you were there any particular passages of scripture that jumped out at you or took on a new meaning for this chapter of your life Mm. i mean a big thing that i i wanted to do through the album um wasn't just to sing about eternity now that might seem strange given what, what we've just been talking about um but i was really keen to to reflect on the process of grief because because while everything that i've said is true in terms of the the beauty and the glory of eternity and 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 my dad's vision of that just growing it was still said through tears because because death is the interrupter you know death is not right um and it won't always be so and so it's right to mourn as well. Um, and so, like I said, I, I felt I did a lot of grieving before dad died um, in anticipation of the loss, um, which which felt very weird. But um, I don't know, maybe maybe that's normal, maybe not. Um, but uh, yeah, so so through the album, I wanted to make sure that I spent time kind of sitting in that grief as it were not in an indulgent uh let's just do a woe is me thing but but acknowledging the reality of grief and that as christians we can and should grieve um and in fact because because of the gospel we should grieve um when there is loss 
because the gospel tells us that death is not right, that Jesus wept, that Jesus railed against death. And, uh, and because he came to defeat it, we absolutely should mourn its effects now, but we don't mourn as those without hope. So it's this kind of bittersweet thing. And we kept saying that phrase, it's bittersweet. Um, I, I met somebody a few months later who uh, just at a summer fete somewhere. I never met this person before, but as we were talking, my wife was talking to him. It turned out he had uh, or read dad's books or something at some point. And so he said, oh, how is he? And uh, I said, he's fine. Um, he absolutely is fine. <laughs> we're not, but he is. Um, and so there's always that that bittersweet thing that because of the gospel, there is the sweetness of the hope, but there is a bitterness right now. And, and it's just right to acknowledge that. So in terms of the passages, um, I wanted I wanted the songs to feel psalm like. Um, because I think the Psalms are some of the best examples of uh, writers sitting with their struggle, with their grief, not skipping to the end too quickly, uh, acknowledging it, acknowledging the reality of it. Uh, and some sometimes in ways that feel unbelieving, you know, where are you, God? Have you? Why are you doing it? Are you crushing me? And again, as evangelicals, mm, that's not that's not right. Uh no, acknowledge what is true rather than what you're feeling. But now they they say no. This is what it feels like right now. Um, they generally get to hope, but they go through that very real process first. And so I I, I wanted to make sure that um, that I did that. Um, but there are loads of loads of passages that came up partly because Dad was quoting them and reflecting on them through that time. So I was scribbling down in a notepad. Um, and so very early on, he, um, he texted us, uh, so in fact, when he got the diagnosis, he, his message to us was Isaiah 43 is of great comfort and I'm at peace. Maybe the last chapter will be the best yet. And, and so, so those, those passages actually in Isaiah, he kind of held on to right through the end. So Isaiah 43 uh, it says, but now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burnt. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Saviour. Um, and that's what he was saying was giving him oh, I was bringing tears to my eyes now um, was bringing him comfort so that worked its way into the first song um, so the song ends with I'll hear you speak my name for I am yours and you are mine that's what it says for do not fear for I've redeemed you I've summoned you by name you are mine and what a oh, what a comfort and again it's it's not a Hey, let's skip to the end. Everything's fine. You know, everything is awesome. Mm. It's actually hold on to this while you're passing through the waters. You're going to pass through the waters. You're going to pass through the rivers. You're going to walk through the fire. 
you're going to have that pain. You're going to have that struggle. It's acknowledging all of those, but I'll be with you. They will not sweep over you. You will not be burnt. So the, the Bible is just so wonderfully realistic. You know, Jesus says it. I'll, while you're in this world, you, you will have struggle. You will have trouble. But I've overcome the world. And and again, I think it's something we need to be better at acknowledging the struggle and the pain, the reality of it, as the Bible does. With that, but. And and that's the thing that we can that we can hold on to. Yeah. You've had some great conversations so far in your series. Um a couple of things that have stood out on that theme, uh, speaking with Sarah Groves about how she's described her life being like a floodplain and having that as both some of the most fragile and the most resilient. Uh, I think she said it's the most resilient biome in the world kind of mm. thing. And then you've got um, Doug McKelvey talking about um, going kind of down to the depths and finding that, that diamond hard foundation um, to find where we put our feet on it and we sink no further mm. with a particular things that you've spoken with people that either those or others that have particularly resonated with you or you found helpful um or you experienced when grieving or writing for this album yeah so i i think i i've I've said it many times that the gospel never felt so real as it did um particularly during those six weeks so six weeks from when dad had the diagnosis to when he went to glory um and it felt so real because it was, well, it was that solid foundation at the bottom of the ocean that in amongst all the incredible pain that there was, the confusion, the shock, what's going to be next, um, all, of, all of that, you know, and, and the losses that there were. Dad was 66. Um, they were a year into retirement. Dad had plenty more books in him. Um, you know, uh, he was doing podcasts and all that kind of stuff. That you know, they, humanly speaking, we go. There's loads more there um, to be used. Why? Why take him now? So you know, there's that, all of that confusion. There's all that water swirling around you, and yet it was okay. But this is this is where the hope is tested in amongst all that confusion and loss the the hope of knowing well knowing that god is good that he knows better and that and that really that death is a doorway into into something so much more glorious so much more wonderful um we don't understand the timing but we will understand the timing um we'll we'll get it one day and and again that will be glorious uh, i don't know how but we'll somehow go oh okay that's what you're doing that, that's amazing um mm. uh so yeah it really was like doug says that that rock at the, bo- the bottom mm. of the ocean and it it's it was okay this this is real this and and I couldn't imagine going through it without the hope of the gospel. Um, 
I just genuinely no idea how you how you deal with that without making without literally making stuff up to make yourself feel better. Um, the fact that we've got somebody who's gone through the door before us in Jesus um, and shown us his resurrected body and gone to glory ahead of us and says, I'm going to take you. And given all the stuff he's already done, promised, fulfilled, why isn't he going to keep that promise? You know, without that, I, it would just be, it would just be grief. Um mm. If the needle has passed through the fabric and come back from the other side and there's a thread attached to that needle and we are the thread, then cool. That's yeah. that's the certainty that I can stake my life on. Yeah. Uh, it does really change. Mm. Change those darkness. It really does change that kind of darkness. In your song, Show Me the Light, there's a, there's a line that says, this long shadow is cast and I can't see the light. Would you be able to share what part of the journey that that was about or when it was darkest for you mm. yeah i think um there there were various there were various points where it just and again this was a lot of it was before dad died so there was some some afterwards but a lot of it was before where i just each morning was just waking up with such a pain in my in my heart you know in my chest um and, and and none of it was doubting and and you know and i express that in the song um uh but i know it'll all come clear in the end and this hell cannot last it'll all be transformed a momentary thing but this long shadow is cast so it none of it was none of it was a doubting and yet it was just so gut-wrenchingly painful um and so a lot of it was seeking to express that um i believe help me in my unbelief kind of thing that sort of juxtaposition of i know it's true but it doesn't feel like it right now or it just feels really painful and i can't i can't see beyond the pain i know beyond the pain but i can't quite feel beyond that right now um if this pain feels quite consuming um so yeah so that's that's what i wanted to keep expressing and and acknowledging um because again i think i think maybe some people fear acknowledging that as if it is some sort of sin perhaps to to doubt in that way uh to be confused but i don't think it is i think it's what a child says to their parent you know when they're um some uh, parent at school the other day was just saying that their little one just having an injection and they give you a look as if ah how could you do this to me this pain but you know somehow it's for their good um and i think it's i think it's like that but it's okay for that child to look at their parent and go why <laughs> what's going on editor michael here interrupting interviewee michael um for one last time this series um i hope you've been enjoying 
this series. And um, just a reminder of the incredible discount that you can get as a listener to the podcast, courtesy of 10 of those. You can get 50% off Hannah Hess's books, uh, which we talked about in the last episode. So if you haven't listened to that yet, go back and have a listen. Um, You'll get a lot of insight into how she wrote the books, what they're about. um, And of course, we talk about the themes of struggle um, and suffering that go on in the books and how, um, well, it does lead to hope. So uh, go and have a listen to that interview if you haven't already. If you have, you're probably wanting to get the books. And so you can get 50% off. All you need to do is use the code no words, lowercase n o w o r d s h h capitals twenty three. So use that um, in the uh, the basket on the ten of those website, uh, and details are in the show notes as well. Um, and rather than doing this at the end of the episode, I thought I'd just say now uh, a reminder about our giveaway this week as well, which is um, which is three copies of uh, my album. So if you've been interested by what I've been talking about during this episode, or maybe what you've heard um, as some of the songs have been played at the end of some of the other episodes, you can win yourself a copy. And you can win it on vinyl, CD, or digital. It's your choice. Um, if you win, all you need to do is share this podcast, um, tag at Michael J. Tinker, and you'll be entered into the draw. And um, even if you don't want to win it, please share. Um, people uh, generally listen to podcasts if somebody else has recommended it. So if you've been enjoying it, if it's been helpful to you, please, please, please share it with your friends, share it on social media, and that'll be so helpful to us. Um, I think that's all from editor Michael um, at the moment and uh, I better get back to interviewing Michael. Cheers. Can you tell me which was the hardest song to write or maybe the easiest? Great question. Um, Strangely, I don't know. It depends how you mean what you mean by hard to write. So there were some songs where... Uh, I maybe had an idea and I knew what I wanted to say and it took a while to find the right words, to find the right tune um, to make it happen. Um, So they took a lot of work. Some songs just fell into place quite quickly. Um, So I'll Hear You Speak My Name, which is the first track on the album I wrote before Dad died. Um, We developed it a little bit afterwards, but not, not a great deal. Um... Show Me the Light was the last song I wrote. Strangely enough, I I felt like I needed something that was a bit more upbeat musically, <laughs> even though the the content isn't that upbeat in that song. But it's it, musically, it is a much more upbeat song. Mm. So I felt it, uh, the the album needed something like that. I think one of the most interesting ones that we uh, wrote was The Tree. So it's the very last track on the album. And it was originally the second part of a different song. Um, still a song about uh, looking at eternity. So the tree, if, you, if people haven't heard it, uh, which I don't expect them to have heard it. No, I tell you, if you've been listening to the podcast, it is at the end of one of the episodes. So hopefully you have heard it. Um, so it's the one about entering eternity and going to the tree of life. And um, we, I'd written... Uh, another song I'd written a song um, about um, being reminded of things about dad in normal things in life so 
just the smile of one of my kids or something reminds me of dad and and so on and the struggle that there is and and that kind of led into seeing dad again and and then the producer jamie evans um suggested a way of writing where you you take an object or something and then you just brainstorm or mind map or whatever you call it now um around that object and you just describe everything about it um and and i thought it was a really fascinating process so i did that thinking about the tree of life and so that led me to thinking about the just the contours and the bark and almost the scars on a tree um and and so it, it led me to pondering how the tree of life functions if there is physically a tree some people argue it's god um, either way still works the same theologically but um, that it says in Revelation 22 um, that the tree of life is for the healing of the nations. And I thought it was a really interesting idea that there was something for healing in eternity. Because I think sometimes we can think, oh, you know, uh, we get to heaven or the new heaven or the new earth and everything will be fine. You know, it's just kind of like a magic. Forget everything in the past. Um, now everything's new and wonderful and I'm all okay but it's interesting there's a tree for the healing of the nations um it doesn't explain any more about that is it a process of healing is it just representing that there is healing when you enter or what we don't know um but i just wondered then whether um in some way the tree god absorbs our stories our struggles our pains and and that's reflected back in the bark in the ravines and the scars um but that part of the healing is that it helps us understand our struggles so i'm pretty convinced that we will we will remember our struggles and our scars in eternity uh the thing that makes me convinced of that is that jesus bears his scars um they're not obliterated but we won't I don't think we will experience them in the way that we experience them now, in the way that we experience the trauma and the pain, in the same way that the risen Jesus doesn't seem to experience the scars in the same traumatic way that he would have been on the cross, because they are understood. And the disciples can see those scars and go, whereas three days earlier, they'd have been looking at those those wounds and going, what? what is it's just pure trauma um but three days later they see it as redemption and hope and here's god standing in front of them you know it's the scars that convince thomas that he is god and so i think we will somehow bear some of the scars of this life but we'll understand them they'll be transformed um we will get why we went through the fire and the waters um and it will be it'll be glorious sorry anyway that's the whole thing about the song but so i went through this this whole process and we kind of got these this song i just really go in the first part of the song it's just a bit rubbish um <laughs> it's just so naff um yeah i had something to it but i, I just like i'm not getting on with this but the second half of the song we're like, mm. 
okay i think there's something here and so it ended up being that we just chopped the song in two and uh and took the second one and it's it's one i'm probably possibly most pleased with it's most unlike me musically so it's not what i would have sat down and written um it's a there's a drone kind of going on in it um the, it's the same tune um but building um but the thing i love most about it is that dad bookends it so we found a recording of dad reading um bits of the last battle so he used to read the the narnia books to us as kids and he had a particular reading voice as well um a very warm and soothing voice and so it's a very fond memory of having him read and i knew because he was a preacher and it was c.s lewis he would have quoted from the last battle at some point um so we managed to get hold of quite a good recording of it and so he bookends and so he literally gets the last word on the album um which is quite special so that one probably took the most work um in some ways it can sound like po probably the most the simplest of songs because the refrain is the tune is just repeated but both writing and recording it was one of the most complicated but um i think the most rewarding hmm. maybe it would be that one that you would offer up to this question but was there a song that as you wrestled it into being it became something else yeah so yes so that was that was one um there were others and i i when i started writing music and i started writing with other people i i would get very twitchy whenever they would send back suggestions <laughs> what are you doing with my song um but over the years i've uh, well, I, I had to force myself to say, no, let's just go with it. Let's see where it goes and don't react and all that kind of thing. And now I enjoy it a lot more. So I worked very closely with a producer on this project. And there were some things that he suggested. I went, no, not doing that. Um, but there were a lot of things I went, OK, let's just go with that and see where it goes. And I was very pleased that I did. Um, so come sit with me um which is a song all about um people this is more so other people's stories than mine but when people struggle to uh when somebody's uh, suffered loss there's a strange phenomenon where people seem to stop talking about the person who's died as if if they talk about them they might upset the person who's lost um which is silly because the person is already upset so you're not going to upset them more. And in fact, it is more upsetting if you don't talk about them because it's as if they never existed. And so I wanted to write a song about that. So Come Sit With Me is an invitation to somebody just to come talk or even just to sit. You've got nothing to say. That's absolutely fine. Just come sit. We'll laugh. We'll cry. We'll remember. We'll build up memories because you've got memories that I don't have of that person potentially. And so you can actually almost complete the story. Um and so I wrote it, I mean, I wrote um, <coughs> pretty much all of these with a guitar. And so it was just a very, um, it's in 6-8 and whatnot. Um, it ended up becoming a really sort of 50s, um, I don't know what, a ballad, um, I guess. Uh, we ended up with Hammond organ on it and all sorts, uh, which is a lot of fun. So it f sounds very different 
to when I wrote it. And in fact, I think I performed it at Hutchmoot in 20, where, where are we? 2022. So that was when I'd written it. But by the album, it become very different. Um, so that that was a lot of fun. Um, I'd like to tell you, but I can't. It was another one I'd kind of got an idea for a song. So it's it's about talking, wanting to tell dad things. So for me, that was that's one of the biggest struggles is stuff I just want to share with dad, but I can't. Um, so I'd written some stuff and I can't even remember exactly what the original was like. But when Jamie, the producer, kind of got down, he started playing it. It ended up sounding really Beatlesy. He kind of went all Lennon on it. Um, and that was perfect because one of the biggest things me and dad shared was a love of the Beatles. So it's like, OK, yeah, let's let's go for this. Let's go full on Beatles. Um, and so we wrote it and then it was on the piano and it was very kind of, yeah, sort of 1970s Lennon. Um, but then when we got into the studio, we kind of played around with it and I don't know, it wasn't quite working. And it was the only track where we all sat in the room as a band and just played, um, which is really annoying for trying to do a video. We filmed loads of bits of what was going on. It's really annoying because we didn't do it to a click. So I can't use footage from other takes and stuff. Um, so sadly, there's not a studio video of that song. Um, but it was really fun once we got the drums in um there's still a huge Beatles thing to it, but the guitarist, there was a bit of a lick that sounded like Brian May. There's a moment that sounds a bit Radiohead in there. Um, there's there's kind of also a Mexican feel to the stuff. There's all sorts of crazy things that go on in it. So I, there's something very exciting about writing music with other people where you don't quite know where it's going to go and then it becomes something and it's it's out of your hands but it's it's very exciting um and i do keep thinking i, I mean i'd love to share that song with dad maybe i will i if i get a guitar in eternity i'll be able to sit down and play it to him i think he'd like it in entrusting your songs to others do you have a particular story that's resonated with you from one of your songs that you've shared with someone else from the album mm the the one that people comment on most i think after shows is um is the come sit with me and uh, uh, maybe that's uh, that makes sense because i was almost writing it for somebody else anyway it was a story that so the thing with dad because he was fairly well known um, people don't have too much of a trouble talking about him um and um you know everybody because he was the pastor the vicar everybody in the church knew him and so they were grieving him in their own way um pretty much everywhere i go and do a show there's at least one person in the audience who had met him or read his books and so have something to share about him but i think for a lot of people that's that's not their experience um and so um yeah, so uh, there's a, a lot of people will kind of mention that, that just the being able to talk. Um, the other one is um, a song called Speak Softly, which just starts, it's okay to cry, dear heart. And that's another, I think, common experience that 
there's a period where people are happy for you to be sad, if that makes sense. But then there's a sort of, oh, come on, I think it's about time you got over it. Um, and so I I use um, Every Moment Holy Volume 2 in the show and read a few bits out from it. And um, there's one of the um, liturgies that's called A Liturgy for When Someone Thinks You Should Be Over It By Now. And it always, always gets a little bit of a wry laughter after after I read the title. And it j- just shows how common um, that is. Um, and it's a, it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful, shall I read a little bit of it? Please. So uh, these are, um, sorry, Doug, I'm not going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read some little bits of it. I hope he doesn't mind. Um, I believe most people mean well, oh God, even when they speak careless, unhelpful or unknowingly hurtful words. But underneath what is said sometimes rests the unspoken judgment that I should just be over this by now. The past is gone, they insinuate, so pull yourself out of this mire and move on with your life. The sentiments might even be sweet on the surface, something about hope or growth or what my loved one would have wanted. But the subtext remains unbearable. Let it go. Get over it. Move on. But I know, O Lord, that a smiling facade is not what you require of me, when my heart remains so shattered. Sorrow is not a one-size-fits-all proposition. Each of us will grieve in our own ways and on our own timetables. Would it not, after all, be a stranger thing just to get over it? To go on as if I were not immeasurably impoverished by the loss of one I love? Doesn't it make more sense to believe that, though the sharpness of the pain will surely mellow over time and peace and purpose will return by degrees, that if we ever truly loved, we must always afterwards hear some refrain of grief weaving through the symphony of our lives, till death has been undone and all has been redeemed, perfected and resurrected, there will be times to remember and to weep. And if this sorrow is the mortal price for the joy of having known and loved another, then I will bear this grief as an honour. Even as your wounds remain visible, O Christ, I will not hide the wounds and scars of love I carry through this life, for they bear good witness to the joy that was and a hope of joys that yet will be. I, I I just feel like that expresses, oh, uh, yeah, indeed, uh, it expresses so many things I wanted to get across in this album. So not only that that common experience that people have of just get over it, um, but also that it is okay for there to be times to remember and to weep, especially this side of eternity. You know, until death has been undone, there will be times to remember and weep. Um, and that actually acknowledging the pain, and this comes up in another song um, about, I think, the title track. Um, acknowledging the pain acknowledges the love. Um, so I have a line about um, each memory of love is a reminder of loss. And that they they both kind of work off each other. That actually I wouldn't be feeling the pain and loss if there wasn't the love in the first place and so to not acknowledge the loss isn't to is then to not acknowledge the love um 
Mm. And so it's just so important to recognize that. And, I, and, I, and through the song and the reading of that, it just seems to give has have given a lot of people permission to grieve. So that's and that's been an encouragement because I've I've wanted it not just to be my story, but for the album and the show to be a space that other people can can sit and grieve where they've needed to grieve, or maybe given permission to go and help other people in their grief. Um, You say that from an album perspective and through the show, but also uh, you've done it personally. You did what Andrew Peterson said um, about the gift of some songs are just for individuals. And when you wrote a song for my husband and I on the loss of our second miscarried child, Moses, um, that was such a touching and emotionally sensitive and precious gift at a time when... Often people don't know what to say, and so they say nothing. And I was happy for people to say something clunky and <laughs> kindly. Some people did say that there was something there. I'm not mm. saying what you uh, gave to us was clunky. I'm saying that was <laughs> a precious gift. But you know, you're sending something to somebody. It's it's a dangerous thing. Uh, you know, it it can um, be a very emotive thing. Um, mm. But the goodness of that and uh, the blessing of that in a in a dark time. Um, I hope that the the good of the the wider album in that sense will continue that um, blessing to others. Um, mm. When you were writing, uh, again, you spoke with Andrew Peterson about um, for children, helping them put their armour on. Um, mm. But for you, who or what helped you put your armour on to journey through this dark valley of birthing an album on grief and hope? Um so I guess musically, I mean, Andrew um, paved the way. I, I often say I, I'm not keen on Christian music. Um, I realise that insults a whole load of people. <laughs> but <laughs> my experience, certainly through the 90s, my experience of Christian music it was just very twee and very skip to the end type music um, that I didn't feel had depth. Um, so it was all you know they're expressing truth but not in a way that resonated or or moved me and i think possibly because it wasn't dealing with the reality of the hardship of life that puts the beauty of the gospel into stark uh contrast and reality and um joe my wife joe she's always a forerunner on these kind of things she had been listening to andrew and um and saying, you know, you should listen to it. And I, you know, I kind of heard some stuff. Oh, yeah. um, but I started to listen to more. And especially when uh, we were going through our own struggles. So we'd um, talk about a little bit about this um, with Sophie Killingly on one of the other episodes. But the struggle and trauma of church, <laughs> a place where there shouldn't be trauma. But sometimes there is, sadly. And actually, his music was very helpful during that time because he is so honest um about depression and the darkness but with the hope so it, it wasn't depressing his music's not depressing but it's also not skip to the end stuff it's real it's real exactly it's psalms you know it's again 
he's willing to sit in that place uh, long enough for you to then feel you're sitting with him and or he's sitting with you even um, so you can share that story together. Um, And so that kind of that helped me through time and then also just went, actually, you can write Christian music that does this. Um, So that certainly gave me the template um, to be able to do it. Um, And then, yeah, I don't know. I just got on and wrote it. It's been it has been difficult at times. Sometimes I've kind of been slightly detached and writing it as music, you know, and sort of doing it as a job and get it done type thing. And, you know, and because it's music, enjoying the musicality of it. So um, there's something creative and joyful, even though even in the sad songs, you're still building something hopefully beautiful out of it, if that's possible for the two things to coexist um and so that's something that uh, god in his graciousness has helped carry me through writing difficult things um the the joy at the same time of doing something creative with it um but there have been times when i've just sat and listened to the back to the tracks and just cried um especially the tree and listening to my dad's voice <laughs> mm. yeah Thank you for including that. It is particularly beautiful. I was wondering when listening, I was like, who who, who would this be? And then, of course, it's got to be Melvin himself. It's um, difficult because his voice is, voice is similar to mine or mine is similar mm-hmm. to his. Um, so I do need to point it out. I mean, even Jo um, thought when she first heard it, it was me. Um, but it wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> we have mm-hmm. very similar bone structures. So similar voices. <laughs> Before you play us out and editing Michael pops in to say something would you give us start of a 10 for somebody who is grieving and doesn't know what to ask the church family to help them with but knows that they should probably ask for help in some way Mm. and for somebody who wants to help but doesn't want to stick their foot in it for someone else they know is grieving what would you offer to those two people wow um it's really hard isn't it and it's hard it is hard to know if you need to ask other people it's hard to know what to ask because often we don't know what we need and maybe it is we don't need anything else but just somebody somebody to just be with us and to sit with us um i've been really encouraged by how mum uh, responded you know she didn't skip a beat with going back to church um she knew she was going to go there and bawl her eyes out but she did it um, because she knew she needed to be among God's people. Um, And she's got on with meeting people, um, going around for dinners to people. One thing I hope she doesn't mind me sharing this, but she she found she was struggling um, with going around to... So previously, obviously, she would go around to somebody else's house, but she would be with dad. And dad very chatty and so she was able to sit and enjoy the company without feeling like she needed to talk all the time without dad it felt like the pressure was on her and the focus was on her and so she you know she just had the wherewithal to say to hosts could you invite somebody else as well um so just takes the pressure off i want to come round but 
I just there just needs to be a little bit more somebody else to focus on, not just me. So sometimes it's really hard to know what you need, but she knew in that situation and she was bold enough to ask for it. So I guess one of the things is just saying, just be bold and ask because other people probably do want to help, but they don't know what to do. And so you might just need to give them a helping hand in just saying, I just need this. And I think you'd be surprised at how many people will jump at helping because they want to help. Um, so that I think that's what I would be say to the person who is grieving needs help. Just whatever it is, ask for it. Um, and if you don't know what it is, just ask for somebody to be with you. Um, and I think people will help. For the person who wants to help somebody who's grieving and you don't know what to say, that's okay. Um, so I would say, just go be be with the person, and maybe tell them. I've no idea what to say, but I want to be with you. And maybe that'll be enough. You know, uh, if it's appropriate, put your arm around them and they're crying. Um, you know, make sure this, you know, they've, they've got some tissues um, and and just be with them. Don't be afraid to talk about the person who's died. Um, even if that brings tears, don't get afraid of that. That's OK. If the person says, I don't want to talk anymore, obviously honour that and respect that. Um, but I think the likelihood is that they probably do want to talk about it um, at times. So, you know, there's a, there's a, a fellow at our church and I'd never met his wife. She had died just a little bit before we arrived at the church. So I didn't know anything. And so I just asked him some questions about her and and he answered with tears in his eyes but he clearly wanted to share that so um yeah if you don't know what to say that's fine sit in silence or just ask some questions about what they were like um share some memory build that um storehouse mm. michael thank you if people want to hear more listen engage where would you send them uh, so my website, michaeljtinker.com. Um, yeah, that's that's where you'll find it all. Videos and albums, even vinyl. Oh, yes. By the time this goes out, the vinyl will have arrived back from the factory. So I'm very excited about that. Beautiful. It's okay to cry, dear heart. It's okay to find your lost it's okay to wonder how many bridges you can cross it's okay to weep from the depth of your soul it's okay to not know how to believe.
Well, there you have it. That's the end of season one of When There Are No Words. A very special thank you to our sponsors, 10 of those, for helping make this happen. Thank you for the wonderful guests who um, very kindly gave up their time to be on this podcast and give us so much food for thought, uh, encouragement and hope. And thank you for um, that art. Um, now, if you'd like to hear a second season or series, whichever it should be, um, of this podcast, I would love to make one. I've got lots of people I would love to chat to, um, exploring these these themes, how they deal with the difficult and big questions of life and faith through their art. Then please consider becoming a monthly subscriber. You can do that through Acast Plus. The uh, links are in the uh, the show notes. And you can do that for as little as £5 a month. And that just enables me to put aside time to uh, doing the interviews, to editing. Uh, it does take time. Um, it might not seem it, but it does. And, um, uh, and it helps me feed my children as well, which is always good. Um, I always say my children, my wife gets fed too. Um, so that's good. Uh, so please consider becoming a monthly supporter and help us make a second season of this. Um, I hope you found it helpful. I hope you found it encouraging. I hope it's provoked you to create art as well. Um, if you're already making art, I hope it's helped you make more. And if you are coming to it for the first time, wonderful. What a wonderful way to use the gifts that God has given us for his glory and, and helping others through the ups and downs of life. So thank you so much for listening to the podcast and hopefully see you for a second season. Bye.